Amen. Good morning, Calvary. We are continuing in on our Luke series. Um, refresher course, reminder, this is a Luke book, but it's actually just the scripture. We encourage you to get one of these so you can take notes as you went along. And what we're actually doing is walking along the pattern of getting us to where we are approaching Easter. So we've gone from Christmas to Easter, and in the in-between time, what we're doing is talking about how Jesus lived his life. So over the last few weeks, we've been talking about the way that Jesus lives, and what we want you to see is there's a pattern. There's a basic pattern to all of this, and the next week, we're going to start segueing into getting uh, towards Jesus' last days as approaching Easter, because believe it or not, Easter is coming rather quickly. So the, here's the pattern. There's kind of four parts to the pattern. When Jesus was teaching, when Jesus lived on mission, there was the surrender, as symbolic through baptism. We, we baptize people as a sign that we are dying to our old ways and being raised to a new life. It's symbolic of this gesture of saying, okay, I'm not going to live for myself anymore, but rather I'm going to be raised to a new life. And from there, you see that once you surrender, there's a temptation. And the fact that there will be trials in this world, can we believe and understand that there are struggles and there are trials and there are temptations that happen in this life, right? So we looked to Jesus through those times. And then last week, uh, Drew talked about one of the ways that we stay focused through the temptations and the trials in this world is to make sure that we understand that we have a purpose, that we're called to live on a mission. And so there's a general purpose to go and make disciples. We're followers making followers of Jesus. But there's a, a specific calling we each have. There's a unique gift set that we have through passions, context, and our abilities that God calls us to live for him as we go. Now, here's the thing. A reason that a lot of us say that we aren't actually living on mission is we feel like we have to learn more. But can I just tell you that where we're going today is the proof that as you learn, you will serve, and as you serve, you will learn. You need both simultaneously in order to follow Christ. So that's the four patterns that you're going to see throughout Jesus' teaching. There's a surrender. There's an overcoming of a temptation. There is a, a learning while you serve mentality. So if you have your uh, Bibles with me or your Luke books, Luke books is on page 42. But in your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 6. We'll begin reading in verse 12. During those days, he went out on the mountain and prayed, spent all night in prayer to God. And when daylight came, he summoned his disciples and he chose them whom he also named apostles, Simon, whom he also called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon called the Zealot, Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. This is very important because he, he lists the names of the disciples. These were real people. They had real names. And if you notice anything about this list, he didn't go to the local seminary and find the right preacher. He didn't go and find all the people who had been educated. In fact, he found a group of ragtag misfits, which is a great gesture to us. It is a great symbol to us. It is a great sign to us because in this fold was a tax collector, the dredge of society at the time. There was a politician and a a fisherman or two. And this is a reminder to us that God wants to use you and me. And he called them to go on mission. 
And while they were on mission, he began to teach them. And so that's important. As disciples began to follow, they would simultaneously serve as they learned. And so what we're about to cover is the first sermon of Jesus, okay? And a lot of times we could spend weeks after weeks after weeks studying just this sermon. It's that important. It was the first sermon that Jesus ever preached. And we do that, and that's appropriate. But today, instead of looking at one tree, I want us to look at the forest. And I want us to realize that this was one sermon. And I want us to get the overview of what Jesus was trying to communicate through this as he was teaching his disciples how to learn while serving him. So we're going to pick up the story in Luke chapter 6, verse 20. Here's what he was teaching those new converts who had surrendered and were going to live for him and serve him. Then looking up at the disciples, he said, blessed are you who are poor because the kingdom of God is yours. Blessed are you who are hungry now because you are filled. Blessed are you who weep now because you will laugh. Blessed are you when you people hate you and when they exclude you, insult you, and slander your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Happy are you when you face these unusual circumstances, right? I don't know about you, but when I'm hungry, I don't feel happy. Maybe you're the hangry type, right? Some of you are like, yeah, don't elbow your spouse. It's not fun. But the reality is that we are sometimes driven by our moods. And what he's saying is, happy are you when you're poor. This word poor there is a word that we don't understand because this is not relative poverty. We understand relative poverty. Relative poverty is when we have to struggle with a 19-inch TV while someone else gets a 72-inch one, right? Relative poverty is going to Indiana Beach instead of Disney World, right? Relative poverty is having to eat at McDonald's instead of Ruth Chris. And we sit there, we play the comparison game, but the reality is relative poverty does not accurately describe what Jesus is talking about here. Absolute poverty is not knowing where your next meal is coming from and having to lean in God. And he says, happy are you when you have to lean into me. Happy are you when you are hungry, not hangry, but truly hungry, the place where you can't think of anything else because what we need to do is in those moments, we need to learn to lean into God. And so all of what Jesus is teaching through these Beatitudes, right? is he's challenging the way that we view our purpose. The Beatitudes challenge the way we view our purpose by challenging our culture. Do we recognize that our culture needs challenging? Yes. But here's the way we think. The culture needs to be challenged, not me. And that's a dangerous place to be. The culture needs to change to my views. And the church can lead in this doctrine Can I just argue that that's not what we're about? Now, we as a church are trying to grow wider and deeper, and we keep growing in numbers, and that's that's a good place to be. So in two weeks from today, in case you haven't heard, we're launching a third service, which means these service times are changing. Yay! Okay, and so the service times will be 8.15, 9.45, and 11.15. And we need about half of you to commit to coming to 11.15, unless you want to commit to coming to 8.15. Any volunteers for the 815? They were in the last service. All right, good, come. We'd love to have you. Um, Some of your relatives are not so excited that you just volunteered for that. But 
as we continue to grow, we don't want to just be a place and a community where people come in and they sit down and they go out unchanged. We believe, imagine if you would, go back to the time when Jesus was preaching this message. These are the words of Jesus, not Daniel Barry. Aren't we glad? These were the message, this was the message that Jesus said was so important. And he challenged them at the very core of what they believed. When was the last time you allowed God to challenge what you believe? Because here's how oftentimes we approach the Bible. I believe this. Now, how can I go to the Bible to prove it? I believe this. Now, how can I find a political party that supports what I believe? I believe this. So how can I go around? Instead of saying, God, what about what I believe needs to change to be more in line with you. So he's chasing this pattern and he's challenging him. And here's how he's challenging him. He goes on in in Luke chapter 6 and he talks about the woes and how if you don't allow God to challenge you, you won't be satisfied. If you don't allow God to move in your life, you're going to be miserable. But when you give your life to Jesus and continue to learn, This will change, and you'll be happier. So one of the ways he says that we are to do this, to continue to make sure that we are being evaluative in the way that we are learning and growing and and practicing our path in coming closer to God, is he says, love your enemies. Luke chapter 6, verse 27. But I say to you who listen, love your enemies. Do what is good to those who hate you. Let's not skip over that like we've heard it a thousand times before and realize how that would have been shocking and honestly should shock us. Do you love those who hate you, who despise you? Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. And if anyone hits you on the cheek, offer the other also. And if anyone takes away your coat, don't hold back your shirt either. Give to everyone who asks you and from someone who takes your things, don't ask for them back. He goes on and he talks about that even more, but look at verse 36, the very end of that, and here's what it says. Be merciful just as your father also is merciful. Do we practice this idea of grace? You see, the command to love our enemies challenges our view on grace. And as God gives us grace and mercy, we are to give grace and mercy. How have you done this week? Have you desired forgiveness while lashing out in anger? Have you softened your heart towards those who have done you wrong or have you canceled them? Have you allowed your bitterness to build up within you? And why does this happen? And how does this happen? And, and hear me, I want to be very clear. This idea of grace does not mean that we allow people to run over us like we're human speed bumps. We need to set up boundaries. And a perfect example of this is if you're in an abusive situation, an abusive relationship, I don't believe the Bible wants you to be in an abusive relationship. Set a boundary, okay? But that doesn't mean that we as a church aren't called to pray for those who are not treating us well. So here's how this unfolds. As we challenge our view of grace, we need to understand how other people operate. And I have a good illustration. My wife showed me a reel this last week. I don't really look at reels a ton. 
But if you don't know what reels are, they're a short little video. Um, and the sheet loves the ones about kids and dogs and dogs and kids and kids and dogs. Okay, so this one was about a kid. And it was this really a little southern cute girl. And this it was titled Manicure with Mommy. If you've seen it, it went viral. And this little girl was giving her mom uh, a manicure. And as she was giving her mom a manicure, she didn't know what she was doing. And she was painting uh, this really bright pinkish color on her mom. And she started to paint on her mom. And she's real little. She didn't know what she was doing. And so she started painting like right here on one of the fingers. And went, whoop, right? Did the whole finger. And the mom looks at the daughter and she goes, oh, be careful, honey. Don't paint the whole finger. And the little girl obviously repeated something she had heard when she said the following in the most southern, genteel, sweet voice. I'm trying my best, honey. <laughs> of course, the mom laughed like you laughed because no one expects that child to know how to paint her mom's fingernails. So why was the mom letting her do it? To bond with her. To also let her make a mistake to learn. Do we as adults afford other adults this ability? See, part of learning is allowing other people to make mistakes and not judging on them and giving them grace. Part of learning is recognizing that there are people in the church who are new believers and don't have the experience that you are, that there's people in our culture. And part of the struggle we have is that we don't allow people to learn. We just expect them to already know everything. Do you give grace and, and put yourself in the empathetic shoes of another person to allow them to mature, to overcome these obstacles? And if not, why not? Well, Jesus follows that up with the answer. Maybe we're judging them. Luke chapter 6, verse 37 do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Given, it will be given to you, a good measure. Pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. With the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. You see, if the command to love our enemies challenges our view of grace, then the command do not judge challenges our view on truth. Do we need truth? Yes, God's truth. But do not judge doesn't challenge God's truth. It challenges our truth, and there's a difference. Your truth may be wrong. God is the ultimate judge. And what we want to do is we want to go around and we want to give everybody truth while asking for grace. And really, it takes a balance of both. You have to learn. In order to learn, you have to not only live on mission, but you have to balance this learning process, which is a balance of truth and grace. So we call this discipleship around here. We call this how we grow. And the discipleship pathway, you may have seen that in the lobby. We have it. And Drew talks about this all the time. Contains three things. It takes community. Why? Because in order to have grace and truth, you have to have community, right? It takes learning, right? But then it takes training. And as Drew talks about, learning is what you do in your mind, but it becomes training when we allow it, when we train, it penetrates down into our heart. Sometimes we have to train our heart to do what the mind says because we as a church know how we're supposed to act, 
but we don't always do it well. So let me ask you once again, how are you doing on your learning and training? What is God showing you that you need to work on? What is changing in your life? In order to grow deeper, you can't just serve. You have to marry it with training and learning and discipline. So, how do we know if we're doing that well, right? If we know we can fool people. He answers that in the next passage. Do you see how this works? We're seeing the forest, right? So we have this idea of living on mission. He's talking about how to learn. He's talking about this idea of living on purpose, living on a mission. Make sure that you are living, practicing grace. Make sure you're living, practicing truth. And the way that you know this is Luke 6, 43. A good tree doesn't produce bad fruit. On the other hand, a bad tree doesn't produce good fruit. Now I want to pause right there. Because when we read this, we view this as somehow people are going to judge us. This isn't about your ability to judge other people. We just covered we aren't supposed to judge, right? This is a measure for you to know how you're doing. Let me say that again. For you to know how you're doing. What's the fruit that you can measure in your life? What are the fruits? Peace, love, joy, kindness, patience, gentleness, faithfulness. Oh, the fruits of the Holy Spirit. As you're nurturing God, you're becoming more like Him. So let me start again. A good tree doesn't produce bad fruit. On the other hand, a bad tree doesn't produce good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. Figs aren't gathered from thorn bushes or grapes picked from a bramble bush. A person produces good on the good stored up in his heart. An evil produces evil out of the evil stored up in his heart. For from his mouth speaks the overflow of his heart. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things I say? So here's how you measure it. If you're living one way on Sunday mornings in church, but not the rest of the week, that's not good fruit. That's faking it. Good fruit allows you to change to become more and more like our Savior. Salvation isn't something that we have to wait for in the next life. Salvation begins here and now. It's the coming to be more like Him. This is a doctrine called justification by faith. Okay? Fancy words. Justification by faith. What does that mean? Here's how it's defined. As we grow closer to God, our faith will propel us to be more like Him. We are therefore justified, verified. We have the way to tell, not by our works, but by the fruit produced from our faith. In other words, we feel closer to God. We are drawn to be more like Him. It's not our works that prove us, because works can be fainted, but out of the outflow of the heart comes who we're supposed to be. So what are a few examples of growing our faith? What are a few of the disciplines that we need to practice? Well, let's cover those real quickly. This is just a short list. I could come up with 30 more probably. You dwell on God more and more throughout the day. It's not just something you do in a quiet time next to your coffee mug. You learn to draw closer to God throughout the day, and you think about Him more and more. You look to God for truth first through His Word and prayer. You do what God says, even if it makes you uncomfortable. As a result of studying his word, you can recall more and more scripture so that in the difficult situations, you know what God says, you don't have to look it up every time, right? You are moving beyond some past obstacles. In other words, 
you're no longer having the issues that you used to have. Now hear me, none of us will ever arrive. Amen. But if in the last year you can't think of one thing that God brought you through, that's a problem. So let me put you another way. They always say in, in alcoholics are always alcoholics. They're just recovering alcoholics. So you may overcome, but you can have a long, long time of recovery and remission, right? How? Through community, learning, and discipline. Oh, sounds like discipleship. So whatever you're struggling with, you can overcome and don't have to let this drive you. Fifth, you invest in others by means of sacrifice, not just convenience. We can talk about the guy on the street who stops to help someone change a tire even though he's going to be late to work, right? Let me give you another illustration that really hits home in the church. One way is that we know that we measure this is every church that I've ever been aware of, the largest giving month of the year is December. The lowest giving month of the year is why? Taxes. Hear me, I, I'm okay with December giving. But are you giving just because it's convenient to you? Are you giving for the glory of God? We move beyond our convenience into sacrifice to do what is right. Which means we need to practice repentance regularly. And finally, strive to forgive and love others. I want to close with this quote from Trevin Wax in the New Our Daily Training. It says, I think this is really important. This is not only where the church is, this is where our culture is. For most of Christian history, everyone knew sin was real. They wondered about salvation. In other words, whether or not God could save them or love them for who they were. Today, people assume salvation is assured and they wonder what sin is. And I think this is important for us to understand. One of the keys for us not learning and quit learning and quit disciplining ourselves to be more and more like Christ is we become egotistical in our beliefs and we assume God's satisfied with that. Church, God loves you unconditionally, but it doesn't mean he wants you to stay there. So here's how we start to make sure that we're doing this. Here's our daily training. We'd like you to practice repentance daily. Ask God to help you turn to Him and away from the things that hinder His transformation in you. Practice repentance daily. God is very faithful. He will sustain you in the difficult times. He will show up when you least expect it. He is good. So God, I thank you for this time and I ask that you help us to be more and more like you. Father, we thank you for how you sustain us. We thank you for just bringing us through the difficult moments of our life. But God, make us more and more like you. God, guard us, guide us, and direct us. In your name we pray. Amen.